you did a you did a switch. Amen. Amen. Isn't it amazing? Uh, I remember years ago we had like the, the phones that were in the car and you had to use a credit card, you know, to swipe it to use it was like five bucks for like thirty seconds of a call or something like that. And uh, nowadays, you know, um, and I remember I remember when Danny was a child, you were able to give her like the play cell phones and she played with it. Um, now they want the real thing. You can't give them the play one anymore. You know, they actually want the real thing, you know, the weight of it and everything like that. And so it just amazes me how technology has advanced so much. But one of the things that the church is called to be in these last days is as technology changes, our theology, the nature of God must remain the same. There's got to be something that's consistent. Okay? And, uh, don't, don't shoot the messenger when I give you this example. You know, I'm just giving you an example of something. But one of Megan's favorite uh, singers is Celine Dion. And I think because she's from Montreal, maybe that's why she likes her. Um, and, um, you know, her husband just passed away. But one of the things, she was in Las Vegas. She's one of the longest celebrities to stay in Las Vegas. They, like, literally built an entire uh, auditorium just for her when she came down. The, 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 the screen... Um, was a million dollar plus screen because um, they had they put drapes down and uh, it didn't work so look look at leadership here in in play so the person who was in charge of the lights department says do you want the best show ever he's like yeah it's gonna cost you about a million bucks he says you got to put the screen you know that's there so we can do all the things with it and so many world leaders went to hear her sing but there was one time when the stage, the way the stage was built is that they're in Las Vegas, right? So it's dry. It's a, it's a desert. And um, they had the stage, and it's built. You can't see it, but it's built on an angle like this. And as she walks up to the front, what happens is that there is a vent so she can breathe. And so it gives her the ability to breathe. She's performing, you know, all throughout the day. And what had happened was they were, you know, harnessing her, and she was doing her things and doing her show. But what happened was her here would get in, in the way, and she couldn't breathe. So the way she, they were having her perform, the choreographer was doing it, she, she just she couldn't breathe, and so it was getting in the way of her performance. So what they did was they, um, they cut her hair. It was like one of the most expensive haircuts ever. You know, I mean, they cut her hair. And what happened was this, so I'm getting to my point, that technology can change, but theology must remain the same because people are looking for consistency. And so they don't care if it's the iPhone 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Okay, and so the church can't get caught up into this changing thing where we lose the value and the essence of what it is to, to, to be a believer, right? So she cuts her hair, and so in their mind, it's a, she can't breathe. I mean, it's not because I want to cut my hair. It's, it's, you're paying thousands to come hear me sing. I want to give you the best performance possible. And a lot of her fans wrote in, they saying, like, what did you do? Why did you cut your hair? Oh, my goodness. And so Celine is like, what do you mean? It's, it's, first of all, it's my hair, number two, but it's getting in the way. And number three, you know, I, I, I want to do this. So her husband turns to her and she says, Celine, don't take it personal. She said, it's not personal. She says, for many of these fans, you're the most consistent thing in their life. And whenever there's a change, it rocks their world. People are looking for consistency. 
And if the church, we don't remain consistent, we're going to rock people's world. And so as much as you see now that all the different methods and all the different ways people are gathering people to come together, I'm telling you right now, there's going to come a day when people are going to say, I want what's consistent. I want the truth and nothing but the truth. And so as a church, that means we have to go through a certain transitions because we always want to remain in the consistency of God's heart. I'm not saying we can't be creative. I'm not saying we can't have methods. But I'm saying that we must keep consistent in the character of God and who he is and what he says about us. And that's what's important, I believe, for us to enter into the next century and to continue to be a light in this dark world. And so let me invite every one of you to come along this journey with us because here is what it really boils down to is this. We act on what we believe. Say that with me. We act on what we believe. And I said earlier, if you take the last three words, what we believe, and you put them in front, it's what we believe we act on. So it's very important. Larry texts me, says, well, what is the, the gist of your message? As I was given some information, and it got me to think of, God, where am I going with this message? Or where you're going, thank you, Holy Ghost. Where are you going with this message? And he says, Rowan, you can't really put a limit on this type of a message. So here is, for those who are taking notes, we act on what we believe. Here is the spirit of what God is doing in this place. It say, he says, these are inspired teachings that will encourage and empower the believers, that's all of us, the believers' journey towards their destiny of freedom. So in the heart of God, in the essence of what God is, he is freedom. Think about that for a second, church. That every time you encounter God or you read his word, the revelation of God, it will always lead us to a place of freedom. It would always do that. And so what is interesting then is that we have to look at this word freedom and to really see what it is. Because if we truly believe that we're on a journey towards our freedom, then how we act is a reflection of what we believe. And what we believe is a reflection of how we act. So I didn't say I act on what I believe. We act on what we believe because we're all connected here. See, there is no pain that could be private. And what I mean by that is, as, as you heard, excuse me, I heard as well. If we're part of the body of Christ, so what you're going through ref- hinders me as well, or it celebrates me. You see what I'm saying? So we are connected together. So it's not what I believe. It's what we believe we act on. So as a church and we get an identity of who God is, we now are going to be going in harmony and we're going to be walking together in the same thing. Thomas Jefferson made this statement. He says, do you want to know who you are? He says, don't ask. Act. Actions will delineate and define you. Profound words from one of our founding fathers. If you want to know who you are, don't ask. Just act. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20, and I'm going to go through a review because I want to get to this place, and I was telling Teresa today, 
I said the word Christian is found in the Bible, I think maybe three or maybe four times, that word Christian is found in the Bible. And the first time that word is used, it is used when they're in Antioch, and they said they were first called Christian in Antioch, and what they meant when they said that was they were like Christ followers. So they were given a label to an action that they saw. They said they were Christians, Christ-like. And so what has happened now throughout the ages, that term now has become a label to just group a bunch of people together. Because in Christianity, you got multiple, multiple, multiple denominations. I mean, multiple denominations who are under the, the, the umbrella of being a Christian. But not all of those individuals are believers. So we don't lose the term. We're going to define the term what a Christian is. Because when they first said these guys were Christians, these believers were Christians, they were seeing how they were acting, how the, you know, they were interacting, and there was transformation. There was evidence that they had been with Jesus. There was proof in the prophetic. Come on. That's why it wasn't pathetic. See, there was proof in what was being declared was shifting their lives. It was, it was bringing transformation in their lives. And because they were in action the people saw that there was a forward movement. And where were they going? They were going to a place of freedom. A place of freedom. How important is freedom? I remember this was uh, a couple of years ago. And um, I, I, was, I was at a church. And someone wrote on one of the prayer cards. I mean, this devastated me. Wrote on the prayer card. Um, let's pray for Rowan's voice. Because every time I hear his voice, it just, it just, it, it just, oh. So this is being read to me, and I'm sitting in the office, and I'm like, wow. I mean, I'm called to ministry, and I got to use my voice. So I did the only thing I knew how to do. I ran home and called my mom. I said, mom, I'm wounded, man. I said, mom, I'm I'm, I'm devastated. Are you serious? Are you telling me there's somebody out there that when I'm communicating that they're actually being annoyed? I said, I'm devastated. And so what happened was that became an action based on what I believed. I believed what they were saying. And so my actions were now I wasn't confident anymore. And I was like, and man, I was like what's wrong? I said, I'm struggling with this because it's what I believed, right? It was a lie from the enemy. It was a lie from the enemy. I'm a gift to the body of Christ. And I'm not purposely going to trying to manipulate. I'm not purposely trying to go out there. I'm seeking God and say, God, transform my heart. Come on, you know the people out there who's just trying to be fake and they're trying to get what. Enough of that. We're, we're just, I don't know about you, but I'm just tired of all that. What I'm looking for are authentic, genuine people that we come together and grace is what flows in our lives. You know what I'm saying? And I extend grace and you extend grace. Why? Because the world is out there saying, I need something consistent. I thought I could find it over here with the buddies, but it doesn't work. I thought I could find it over doing this. It doesn't work. I thought I could do this. It doesn't work. We got people who are saying, my family is falling apart, and I need something consistent to be a foundation. And so we've got to come together. We've got to dispel every single lie of the enemy because what you believe, you act on. And it's critical then. It's vital that we recognize that. And so when I heard that, for years that 
troubled me. And I was not in freedom. I was in bondage, but yet I'm still being used by God. But I'm in bondage. That's an oxymoron. I'm being used by God, but I'm still in bondage. So my mind has to catch up to what my spirit has already declared. And that gives me power now to be bold and to walk in the things that God has called me to do. Why? Because there's a people that's dependent upon me to flow in the gifts that God has given me. There are people depending on you and you to flow in your gift. Why? Because the body can edify and build each other up. And that's when you say, why and how do you guys get together? Is because we are a believer in God and we're a believer in other people. So here in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, a fascinating chapter. You've got to start from chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19. Read the entire story about Jehoshaphat and how you see God operate in his life. And that is a template of what God wants to, I believe, in these last days. And in verse 20, it says, And they rose early in the morning of 2 Chronicles 20, and they went out into the wilderness. Underline that place, the wilderness. The wilderness is part of your journey to freedom. It doesn't matter where you are, you must go through a wilderness experience. You are always going to go through a wilderness experience to get to your place of freedom. You have to go through that place. And so here we see that now they're in the wilderness. And as we look back to Exodus, you see how this is true throughout the scripture. The wilderness is always there. Hmm, I think Jesus also was led by the Spirit. Where? Come on, this Jesus now was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But when he was finished, he came in the power of the Spirit. Good God Almighty. Stepped into that old system and says, let me tell you now, we're breaking down everything because you hinder people from coming to God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me. So those who are anointed knows how to go through the wilderness experience. Mm, come on, somebody. We've got to recognize the wilderness is just part of the journey. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Consistency. But it doesn't just end there. Because that alone would have been great. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be established. That, that would have been fine. And we're talking about God here. But he continues, says now, And believe in the prophets, and you shall succeed. So there's a two-dimension here. He says, believe in God and you will be established, solid. You know your belief system. You're there. But God said, but there's more. It's a journey to freedom. And now believe the prophetic word. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. That's freedom. Wow. Good God Almighty. So what it's telling me is this, that there are many churches out there. They believe in the Lord. They're doing great things and everything is wonderful and they're established. But God is looking for another dimension of people that want to take territory. They want to bring his glory into this earth realm. I think it's you all because on the wall it says that let Mary be filled with his glory. So I believe you are the people that want more than just I'm believing in God. I want to see an action. I want to see the manifestation. I want to see the, 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 the kabat, the heavy weight of God that is going to happen on my life. And so I've got to believe the prophetic word so I can walk in success. And so he says that, then that's critical. These, this, is, this is the strategy for the battle plan for you to have victory in your life every single day and every single minute. So believe is critical. 
Now let's look, go to Mark chapter 9, verse 23, verse 24. So as I was sharing this last week, I said, God, I know you want me to stay on this message. But I was fighting last week. I, I think because we were taking territory. I was just, I was struggling with this message last week. And Megan and Danny would say, man, it, it, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't show like you were struggling. I said, I was just rustling in my spirit because I know that this is the word from God for this season. I know it is. So God says, stay on this. Stay on this. So in Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, the story is taking place here that there was a dispute taking place. And so Jesus now comes in, in, in Mark chapter 9. And I love what, what this says. So the disciples are trying to cast out a demon. They're trying, to, they're trying to bring salvation. They're trying to bring freedom to a family. So here it is now. Watch this now. That there's a father who has a son, but he's not walking in freedom. And he says, I came to the church. I brought him to the disciples. But they, 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 they couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything because they're arguing. Not in agreement. There's a powerful statement I want you to write down. Remember this. You don't always have to be in approval, but we have to be in agreement. You not always have to be in approval, but you have to be in agreement. So there's certain times where Megan doesn't approve, but she walks in agreement because harmony and unity trumps my own opinion. And so we have to become then the people that we act on what we believe, so we're going to come together in agreement. And sometimes that agreement says, you know what, let's fast together. This agreement may come, you know what, let's just believe God and let's wait on God to lead us and direct us. And so we have to be able to be patient to wait on God because we want to move in agreement. So he brings his son to the disciples. They couldn't do it. And this is what's interesting if you read the chapter. Jesus shows up and immediately the spirit goes to him and falls down. Well, he had time in the wilderness led by the spirit. He came out of the wilderness by the power of God. And wherever Jesus walked, he was so consistent. He walked in such authority that wherever he walked, every atmosphere had to change when he came around. Jesus, that, that Christ is not his last name. Jesus, wherever he went, the atmosphere had to be conducive to the kingdom of God. So Jesus, so Mary, you should call the body of Christ, give him the name Jesus. So the body of Christ, wherever we go, we change the atmosphere. Because we act on what we believe. And so as a body, we believe that when we operate and when we move, atmosphere changes. And so we got to protect that unity. Why? Because there's some dad, there's some mom, there's some family, there's someone that says, I need deliverance. And so therefore, I'm coming to the church because the church is what is consistent. The church is what is consistent, and I'll get my deliverance. So Jesus comes down. And he says to the son, how long has this been happening? He says, from a child, it grabs him, it, 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 it messes with his mind, he throws him the thing, and everything like that. And Jesus rebukes the spirit and says, get out of him. Because your body was created to be a house for the spirit of God, not for any demonic spirit whatsoever. That's why, listen, brothers and sisters, you must recognize and always seek the presence of God. It is what will protect you in these evil days. You must always seek the presence of God as a family as an individual as a church you always want to seek the presence of God it is the presence of God that dispels the darkness 
That's what does it. That's why you think worship is just a bunch of songs we select and we play them on the video. No, there are things happening in the atmosphere. There's a battle taking place. Why? But we come from a place of rest because we know in whom we believe. And we know that his report is good. So we come from a place of rest. And so our worship is free. Our hands can be lifted up to heaven because we're free. Why? Because God's presence is here. Because with God's presence comes his power. It's his presence that brings the power. And so we act on what we believe. So if we believe in the power of God, we then come together for his presence. And it says there, and Jesus, and he and, and, and says, if you just believe, and the father cries out, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe God, but help my unbelief. I believe, God, that you're calling this person. But, God, you got to help my unbelief. <laughs> I believe you're doing a work over here, God. But you got to help my unbelief. And so the purpose of the prophetic is to speak not necessarily where you are, but to where you're going. And so if I speak the prophetic long enough, I will then usher you into your destiny of freedom. Let me repeat that again. Nobody, I believe, on the planet will resist being in an atmosphere where they're celebrated. And where they are encouraged. And in being celebrated and in being encouraged, there is an element of correction as well. Why? Because we want your freedom. We desire your freedom. Because when you are free, we can then continue the journey. I've shared this before, but this is so profound. This is absolutely, here is how you can stop the move of God. Here's how you can stop the move of God. In the book of of, of Numbers, it says that Miriam and Aaron, who were called by God, given a strategic position by God, looked at Moses and says, hey, how come God only talks to you? Surely he talks to us as well. And God says, call them. Bring them together. And he says, Miriam, Aaron. I speak to prophets in visions and dreams. But to Moses, I speak to him face to face. Wow. Face to face, I speak to Moses. Because he's a meek man. Speaks of the character of Moses. And I believe God wants to speak to us face to face. And so as a result, of, that's what we got to get in his presence. Moses said, it's not about me getting his presence. If you want power, get in his presence. If you want to be getting his presence, get in God's presence. Get your children, get in God's presence. I tell my girls all the time, Danny, Lizzie, get in God's presence. Be obedient. Come on. You've got to be obedient to God. Get in God's presence. Because there comes a time where I'm not omnipresent, but he is. We've got to get into God's presence. Why? Because as a church, if we all hunger and thirst after God's presence, his power will manifest. I know it will. I know it will. If two of you shall agree, good God Almighty, if where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. It's possible. It very much is possible. And so therefore now, here it is that Miriam now became leprosy. But it's interesting it didn't happen to Aaron. Because Aaron as the priest had to go in God's presence and nothing can come into God's presence that is not Holy and right. So Miriam now has this leprosy. And Moses now cries out, says, God, 
She's part of the body. Have mercy on her. Heal her. And the Bible said this. They stopped their journey to freedom for seven days until Miriam was healed. They didn't move until she, one person, caused the movement of God to stop. But the church says, we didn't approve of what she did, but we will be in agreement and we will stay here until she's healed. There are people out of these four walls. Where can I go? Where can I go that I can bring my issues? And they will say, we will wait until God does the work in your life because you are on this journey to freedom with us together. See, that requires a lot of grace. But it says, we act on what we believe. And so we walk into churches and we're looking for, and we're trying to find what they believe. I mean, we have it on every church. Look at it. They're, what we believe, they have it on there. It's written on there. And most of it is just doctrine. It's not way of living together. Most of it's we believe in the Trinity. Yes, and we believe in the resurrection. Yeah, we believe in this. We believe in that. But what happens when there's conflict? There is nothing that says what we do when there's conflict. And mostly the church, not because they don't believe in God, it's they need a prophetic word. That is what is causing them to leave. It's not because they don't believe in God. Yes, they do. They believe God, but when they come to the body and they come with their issues and says, I thought we believed. I thought you believed in healing. I thought you believed in this. And so the movement of God stopped. And seven days, they waited. When she was healed, he says they went on their journey to freedom. On their journey to freedom. So let me share this with you and we wrap up with this. Let me tell you the benefits of being a believer. There ought to be a distinct difference between us and the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. In Psalms 103, verse 1 to 5, the psalmist says, Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotion, and forget not all his benefits. So what are the benefits of the believer? Let me give you the first one. The first benefit of the believer is that when you walk in this unity, when we come together, what benefit we receive is that God is a restorer. God is a restorer. He restores all things. He restores your brain cells. He restores your marriage. He restores your children. God is a restorer. That's the first benefit. So as a believer then, one of the benefits that I know is that the enemy can't say all is lost. He can't say that because God is the restorer. And he first restores, watch this now, who forgives all your iniquities. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. So when we invite people to come or you're communicating with people, the first thing you want to tell them is that God is restored. I don't care what you're going through. God can restore you. I, 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 I had an abortion. God can restore you. 
I, I did this. God can restore. I had an affair. God can restore you. He's the restore. He can forgive you of all your iniquity. As long as the east is from the west, God is forgiving you. In my presence, you don't have to worry about being ashamed. Come on. You don't have to worry about being that because God will forgive you. That's one of the benefits of being a believer. The world will never do that. The world can't do that. But in the church, we're consistent that, number one, God is a restorer. He can restore. My marriage has no hope. No, 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 no. You're just going through a wilderness. It's part of the journey. God can restore you. He can forgive all your iniquity. So if God has forgiven my iniquity, you don't have the privilege of bringing it up. If God has forgiven my iniquities and is washed under the blood, let me pause you for a second. Watch. They have this YouTube thing I was watching or it was on Facebook that some of the terminology that we're using now because we're such a biblically illiterate nation that we can't use words like redemption and the blood. They're like, I don't know, what in the world is that? You have a generation that is biblically illiterate. They don't know the Bible. They think the epistles are the apostles' wives. I mean, I'm not kidding you. You tell them, name the gospel writers. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, so the generation, they have no clue unless you two give them information. They have no, the, the schools aren't teaching them. You see what I'm saying? You can read the Quran. Come on. Uh-huh. You, you, you can read the Quran because it's good literature. But don't you read the Bible. We'll fire you if you do that. You see what I'm saying? And so we have to recognize that, that, that's, that that's what's critical. So they, got, they don't know the Bible. So when you're talking to them about God forgives you, what's iniquities? What do you mean iniquities? What? Iniqu- what is iniquities? They have no idea what sin is anymore. So when you stand for righteousness, they're like, man, you're old-fashioned. What's wrong with you? They don't understand that's one of the benefits, that God forgives them of their iniquities. Iniquity is sin. It's missing the mark. It's not walking in the totality and the completion that God has for you. And he's here to tell you that the first benefit of the believer is that God is able to restore. How many believe God's able to restore? Yes, he is. You take that message when you leave these four walls down. And everywhere you go, every per- person you're listening to, you're listening. What, what is it? No, but God can restore that. But you don't know. But God can restore that. No, but God can restore that. No, but God can restore that. Why? Because we act on what we believe. And I'm sorry, but I got to believe this with everything in me. God is able to restore. Oh, good God Almighty. Hallelujah. He's a good God. I, I got to hurry. The second thing is this, that he's a healer. He's not just a restorer, but he's a healer. Jehovah Rapha is the Hebrew word for the Lord who heals. And he says in Psalms 103, verse 3, uh, B, who heals all your diseases. All your diseases. And he says this. If you're diligent in Exodus 15, verse 26, he said, if you're diligent, listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes. Back to that restore again. And give ear to his commandment and keep all the statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Come on. The benefits of the believer is that the Egyptians have the sickness, but not God's people. Why? So there will be an attraction from them to come to us and says, my God, listen, it's good for God to be a healer. It's good for the economy. How many people are losing their homes because of medical bills and things of that nature? So when God heals of sickness and disease, that's why as a church, we've got to believe that God heals. It is good for that family. The money that they're spending on the medical bills now can be spent given to the church. 
That's why we believe and we act on healing. That's why we believe that God is the restorer. The third thing is this, and I want to park it here, is that God is a redeemer. God is your redeemer. And let me give you this illustration. I had set these up, and, and, and Gary walked up, and he, he says, Hey, Ron, when I saw these things set up, and uh, so if you can share from me, Gary. He saw the chains, and you said these chains represented what? Okay. So that's the first thing. But God is our redeemer. And the rope? And finally... Thank you, Jesus. Now, all of that represents redemption. There are four Greek words we use for redemption. I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'll just spell them for you because this is going to change your life. The first word is this. Because of these things, as Gary has shared, we were born into sin and we became an enemy of God. And the enemy owned us. We were a slave. You were born in sin, shape. You were, you, you were this. And the Bible in the New Testament calls that the agora. It means the marketplace. The agora. It is the place where people were buying and selling, transacting business. It was when the slave ships would come and they would get to Egypt. It's when Joseph again was taken as a slave and Joseph was brought to the marketplace. It's called the agora. He was in chains and he was brought to the agora the marketplace. And the Greek word for redemption in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 is this. You are bought with a price. So it's the word agorizo or A-G-O-R-I-D-Z-O. It means then that Jesus Christ, when God sent his son, you were in the marketplace. You were in the glory. You were being transacted by the enemy to the highest bidder. And Jesus stepped into the marketplace. Redemption is here. Let me say that again. The enemy had us in the marketplace with these weapons that he's using. And God says, for I so loved the world that I gave my only begotten son. The word became flesh and went right. He didn't stay here. He says, come. He said, I'm going right to the marketplace. See what that devil's doing. The agora. But it's deeper than that. The second word then is this. It's one thing for Jesus to go into the agora. 
The second thing is what he talks about is lutros, or L-U-T-R-O-O. This is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. It means to set a prisoner free by payment of a ransom. We get that word ransom. It means to liberate on reception of ransom, to receive the ransom. Now I've got to liberate. It means that someone enters into the agora, the marketplace, and they pay a ransom with something that is extremely costly. So Jesus now goes to the agora. He steps there and he says, what is going on here? Redemption showed up. The enemy says, you've got to pay a price. You guys can't take them. It's lutros. It's got to be a currency. It's got to be an exchange. What's it going to cost? It's going to cost you your life. So Jesus had to act on what he believes. Come on, y'all missed that. For God so loved the world, act on it. Lutros, that he gave his only begotten son. That was just going to cost you your life because I believe in them. Mm, good God Almighty. I'm going to lay my life down. And so the second dimension of redemption, the benefit to the believer, is that the price was paid for you. You are not your own. Your body belongs to God. So stop with these weapons of the enemy that he's using to control us because the costly price of the body of Jesus Christ was laid on the cross. It says redemption. Hallelujah. Good God Almighty. I'll pay the price. I'll lay my life down. Give me ten more minutes. The lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. C.S. Lewis book. When Aslan went and when Edmund, come on, out of his silly decisions and choice, went to the white witch, come on, and gave up because he was a son of man and he gave up. And all of a sudden the witch says, I know the law. She came riding with her beasts and her animals. And says, I know you freed Edmund, but there's a law. Good God, am I that you got to follow? And she walks right into Aslan's territory, right in his tent, and says, you know the law. You can't just take Edmund like that. Not when he's giving himself over to me. You've got to pay the price. And so they go into the chamber, and the conversation takes place, and the white witch leaves, and Edmund is free. And he says, he, he, she renounced her ownership to him. He, he's free, and they all celebrated Edmund's freedom. They rejoiced in the freedom. And as they were rejoicing in freedom, Aslan leaves the tent, and he starts to walk. And like, where are you going? He says, I, it was the Lutros. It was one thing f- for me to go and take Edmond, but I had to pay the price. And so he goes back now, and they're watching. They're watching what's going on. And so the white witch locks him up, and all the demonic things are all happy because Aslan, this king now, is laying there, and she takes the knife, and she goes and she kills him. And they weeped and they cried. But I was there, it's the only way to pay the price. Lutros, there had to have been a currency. And God is saying, you're not your own. You were, you were bought with a price. Young people, you're not your own. Your body belongs to God. I know it's just a tattoo. And I know it's just a piercing. And I know it's cool. I know it's society. But your body doesn't belong to you. God paid the ultimate price for your body. Glorify him with your body. Glorify him with your body. He's crying out to the church, glorify me with your body. God Almighty. If you had a child, you would lay your life down for that child. And how much more God? Let me hurry now. That was Lutros. But all this was taking place in the Agora, in the marketplace. So finally now, watch God now. God says now, it needs to be a transformation. So ex agarizo, or ex, where we get the word exodus, ex, 
A-G-O-R-I-D-Z-O means this. It means to buy up when purchasing, there is a removal of what was purchased from where it was. Good God Almighty. So in other words, not only did he go to the Agora, the marketplace, not only did he, Lutros, pay the currency, he picked you up and says, come on with me now. And he leaves the Agora just in case you may stay in there. He opens it and says, come on now. And he removes you. That's redemption. So redemption is not just he came to the marketplace. Redemption is not just that he paid the price, but he physically has picked you and I up. That's not your home. Come on, somebody. You're on a journey to freedom. And that's one of the benefits of the believers is that we are on a journey. Don't look back, Lot. Don't look back. Look forward to what God has for you. Someone shout amen. Someone shout amen. We got people who are staying in the marketplace. That's why these chains that Gary talked about are still prevailing. And they're staying in the marketplace. Why? They don't know the price that God paid for them. They just think no one loves me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God loves you more than anybody else. Take the ropes off of what people say about you. Come on, somebody. And let's stop being silly with these different things that we're arguing over and fussing over. Why? Because God has removed us from the marketplace. Someone say, I'm free. Oh, good God Almighty, you are free. You are no longer in the Agora. No longer in the Agora. This is the final spot, Ephesians. That was Galatians 3.13. Here's the final one now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. This was the, this was the last one. I see Eli, can you, can you come here for a second? This is, this is the, the last thing when we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Sorry, Pastor, I don't know what you were doing there, but you got you to gotta, you gotta be part of this. Hands up in the air. Hands up in the air. Watch this. come to me to the agora and so what happens is this here we are and so all the visible things god has removed from us and we're in the agora and jesus came to me and says hey Pesila, i love you man um, i'm here what's going on father can you rescue me i can rescue you and we're having this relationship with god and it says but what about the price he said i pay the price for you i pay the price for you and you now belong to me okay and I've removed you now, and you're walking. And so this is most of our journeys like this, and we're walking, and all of a sudden, the enemy now pulls us like this. He says, come back here. The Bible said in the book of Exodus that when Pharaoh let them go, God led them into the wilderness. Read on in the next chapter. It says when Pharaoh heard that the children of Israel went. I thought he let them go. But it says when Pharaoh heard that the children of Israel were coming out from the marketplace, he says, what have we done? Why did we let them go and stop them? They were serving us. And what happens is that we start walking in our journey to freedom, and the enemy says, hold on, I didn't say you can go that far. Come back here. 
It's called an offense. And then you go out further going on and says, I didn't get my opportunity to do anything. And we get pulled back in again. And it's no longer an issue about going to heaven or hell. Now it's an issue of bringing the kingdom of God into the earth. And so we go out again and we go a little bit further. This time we're going a little further. And then he pulls us back in again. And so one week we're up, next week we're out again, and we push us out again, and we're trying to go further again. And then he pulls us, and God says, that's not the way I bring about redemption. This final word in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 means this. Not only did he remove us from the marketplace, he says, I came to remove the sin from you. He said, I came to take this nature out of you because everything about me is freedom. He says, if you allow me the opportunity to do a deep work and bring redemption to its completion, you are now free to worship. You can run wherever you want to go. There is no limitation. There is no offense. There's nothing anybody can say because what we act on, we believe. And so because I'm free, I can run. I can dance. I can shout. I can sing. I can do everything. Why? Because now he's representing the work that God is doing. Come on, somebody. He's now walking in redemption. And now he's saying this journey of freedom. Come on, somebody. It is awesome. I'm walking in freedom. So what do we have to do? Two things and now we're going to get out of here. The two things is we must now renew your mind. We must renew your mind because you still think you're here. You're allowing these chains. You're allowing these things to still control your mind. You've got to renew your mind. How? By the word of God. That's the only way, saints of God. We've got to get into his word. That's the only way we're going to break and destroy these things. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of being bound up when I have freedom. I'm tired of limitations. When God is saying that I'm, he can do great things inside of me. We have to renew our mind. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may, but by testing you will discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And finally, rejoice. 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 Whatever head by every eyes closed, rejoice. Rejoice. When the children of Israel got to the Red Sea, they got to the Red Sea. And they crossed over. It said, Moses grabbed the tambourine. It was the men. Come on, somebody. Huh? Who were the first word? It was the men. It was the men. See, when, when a man is set free, good God Almighty, watch worship elevate to another dimension. When a man gets free, come on, somebody. When men are free. You will see a worship like you have never seen before. When men get free, come on, somebody. There will be a worship. And Moses now got the people together. says, so let's sing and let's shout and let's praise to God. It's time for rejoicing because we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. And when Moses got the people to sing, now the daughters, the prophetesses, got the tambourine. Good God. They start to praise the Lord. So my Bible is closed. Let me say this. Let me end with this. The evidence of freedom is where you have men who are free worshiping. And you have ladies who are free worshiping. Because of the redemption of God. 
that the first restoration that needed to happen was between Adam and Eve. And God has restored that now. And that's why the enemy is pounding with the same secretary. That's why he's pounding it. Because when God restores a man and restores a woman, you can birth things into the reality. So our bondage has caused the church to be barren. And we're not reproducing. And we're not attracting people to the things of God. But because you are free, everyone inside of my voice, you are free. I don't care if you feel like it. I'm telling you reality, you are free. That for 60 seconds, I want us to rejoice in freedom, in freedom, in freedom. The chains are off. The rope is off. The bands are off. There is nothing holding you back now from giving God praise and glory. There is nothing holding you back now. So run that last song again. Pastor or Larry, run that last song. And we're going to worship the Lord. And if you need prayer, come on up here. And if you don't, God bless you. But know this. Know this. Know this. You are free. Know this. You are free. You are free. You are free. Good God. Hallelujah. Father, we bless your name. We thank you. We magnify your name. We give you the praise and the glory. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be than here in your love. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be than be with the body of Christ, worshiping and magnifying the Lord. No place I'd rather be. Come on, you're free. You're free to worship the Lord. You're free. You see, you've been, you've been waiting so long to be told what to do. Go ahead and worship the Lord and magnify his name. Go and exalt his name. Come on. Come on, worship and bless his name. Exalt his name. Come on, no place. No place. Come on. No Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Set a fire. Set a fire down in my soul. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, you're free. Now act on what you believe. Come on. Yes, yes. Come on, come on. No place. Come on. Oh. I am redeemed. I have been set free. And I will act on what I believe. Come on, gather in place. Come on, come on. Come on, men. Yes. 
prophetesses. God didn't forget about you, ladies. Come on, prophetess, yes. Hallelujah. Come on, evangelist. I call you. I call you that you are. Come on. Come on. There it is. There it is. There it is. I challenge you. Come Come on. I want more. We want more. We want more. That I. Come on. Yes. Yes. Come on. My mind is free. My feet are free. And I fire down in my soul that I can. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I speak to those gifts inside of you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yes, Lord. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I am free. I'm free, my God. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Oh, God, no place. 